Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. To set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. The way is perfect like vast space where nothing is lacking and nothing is in excess. The more you talk and think about it, the further astray you wander from the truth. Stop talking and thinking and there's nothing you'll not be able to know. Do not search for the truth. Only cease to cherish opinions. To live in the great way is neither easy nor difficult, but those with limited views are fearful and irresolute. The faster they hurry, the slower they go. Just let things be in their own way, and there will be neither coming nor going. The burdensome practice of judging brings annoyance and weariness. There is one Dharma, not many, Distinctions arise from the clinging needs of the ignorant. Okay, so we actually left off last time um, at the uh, no comparisons or analogies are possible in this causeless, relationless state. So now we'll go through it. I'll, I'll read a, I'll read some, and then we can uh, see if there's any comments and 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 move on. This is, uh, again, this is a treatise on non-duality. Instead of seeing ourselves as separate from the rest of life, just seeing there is no separation on the deepest, profound level where you, you see clearly, you see the truth. Consider movement stationary and the stationary in motion. Here's where you start. There's a Zen flavor that comes through this. Consider movement stationary and the stationary in motion. When such dualities cease to exist, oneness itself cannot exist. Oh, sorry. Con sorry. Uh, consider movement stationary and the stationary in motion. Both movement and rest disappear. When such dualities cease to exist, Oneness itself cannot exist. To this ultimate finality, no law or description applies. As I, we talked before, it's kind of like keeping on pulling the rug. As soon as you think you've got some place, some secure place, some vantage point, no, not even that. Don't get attached to the oneness. What could that mean? Anyone conjecture? or speculate, consider movement stationary and the stationary in motion. Can you think of any time where things seem like they're moving from one vantage point, but from another, they don't seem to be moving at all? Yeah. There you go. Okay. Movement. You're just sitting around, flying in an airplane. I'm just sitting here, having my 
tea, having my meal, and you're zooming around. And in fact, what about us on this planet? You're, oh, we just had such a still meditation <laughs> as we were going 18 miles per second through space. Isn't that amazing? It's just where the vantage point you look at it. And what about stillness? Uh, any other thing that, uh, that you can think of where that seems still where there's movement happening, really happening? One thing that I look at, if you look under an electron microscope, there's nothing that's still. Just so fast, we, there's not enough zeros in this room to, uh, to assess the speed of those electrons moving. It's just from where we're looking that things seem still or seem moving. So this is looking at taking away any one particular vantage point and seeing there's lots of different perspectives and just uh, undercutting them all. So here's one of the, here's some good stuff coming. For the unified mind in accord with the way, all self-centered striving ceases. Doubts and irresolutions vanish, and life in true faith is possible. With a single stroke, we are free from bondage. Nothing clings to us, and we hold to nothing. All is empty, clear, self-illuminating, with no exertion of the mind's power. Here, thought, feeling, knowledge, and imagination are of no value. In this world of suchness, there is neither self nor other than self. Now, if by now you're saying, what the heck is this talking about? Don't worry about it if this is the first time you're hanging out with this as I mentioned before, I, I, uh, I like to think of it as, as um, just let it wash over you and whatever sticks, let it stick. Don't have to dissect it, but we'll uh, point to where we'll see what, what thoughts come up from, from the group. For the unified mind in accord with the way, and you see that way is a capital W. That's like the Tao in Taoism, D-A-O. T-A-O, the Tao, just the way of things, the nature, or you could say the Dharma, same thing. For the unified mind, in accord with the way, all self-centered striving ceases. Anyone want to explain that in, in simpler words? Let's see if you can uh, wait. Just pass it, pass the talking stick. Yeah. At a certain point with meditation, you enter states of mind where there's not 
separation and there's your compassion arises and your sense of other sentient beings in the world and yourself being part of a wholeness so you're you're inclined to be far more kind and considerate and sensitive to nature and to other beings okay wonderful when you when you see clearly when you see through the illusion of separation and you see through the illusion of self <coughs> on the on the ultimate reality when you say I'm thinking about Wei Wu Wei, this uh, this kind of uh, this. He was a British fellow, but he would do these uh, Zen-like koans. He'd say, "As long as there's anyone to suffer, they will." <laughs> if you're around, saying, "Oh, woe is me," and I've had such a hard day, and you know, it's we want to honor our reality, of course. But the more there is this solidified sense of self, life is happening to me, and oh, now it's a good movie, or now it's a lousy movie. As long as you're, you're mainly living from that place of self, then you are, you know, by definition, self-centered. It's about me. By the way, there's a great video um, that uh, Trunk Rinpoche's son, Nipam uh, Rinpoche, uh, has called What About Me? It's kind of, it's set to music and it's very, very cool. If you just Google What About Me, uh, it, you'll get it a lot better than I'm saying it in about, you know, three or four minutes with some cool music in the background. But when you see through that sense of self and there's not, there's not that self-centered the self-centered striving ceases, and he says, doubts and irresolutions, there's no doubt. It, life in true faith is possible. With a single stroke, we're free from bondage. Nothing clings to us, and we hold to nothing. All is empty, clear, self-illuminating, with no exertion of the mind's power. It's like you're not caught in the knot of self, which is also the the knot that gives rise to all fear. When there's no uh, uh, Anam Rinpoche, who's going to be here in another uh, next month while I'm away, a wonderful Tibetan teacher, he just came out with a book that says it all. No self, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's the idea, and wish where it says, in this world of suchness, there is neither self nor other than self. Um, perhaps you've experienced this. It can happen, can happen anywhere, but sometimes in profound moments in the stillness of meditation, it's just, it, it's hard to explain describe in words other than there's a magic that everything has when there's just the awareness recognizing everything and it's not even oh I'm aware right now oh isn't that cool I'm so aware it's just you're not even in the way and there's just awareness happening and that that's an experience that sometimes is called the suchness of things I see a hand up so would you um, 
Yes, uh, uh, my name is Denise, and just a few days ago, I was uh, speaking with a friend of mine, and we were talking about that kind of state mm -hmm. that we would every once in a while reach when we were young and tripping on LSD. <laughs> and it's a much harder thing to uh, experience these states through meditation, uh, <laughs> without a doubt. Um, Yeah. Well, it's uh, <laughs> it, it, it is available, and it's it, it's it, it, it's a it's a it's a probably a surer route, maybe slower, but a surer route. And I really understand what you're saying, <laughs> and 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 honor that. You know, there's lots of different ways to see that this, the, what we're living in, this little band of consciousness, is just one little band, one thin band on a huge spectrum. And when you get beyond this level of me and, and other, you open to the magic of things that's there, been there all along. So, and in fact, um, uh, I, I've talked about it before, Ajahn Buddhadasa has this beautiful treatise, Nibbana for Everyone. He says we all experience these moments from time to time where we're just not around, you know, but in a good way, and you come back and you say, wow, that was so restful. You know, where was I? Or there's this brilliant awareness that is not even you, that can be a kind of, well, all I can say is it can be magical. How many people have, have a sense that they've ha touched that kind of suchness somewhere in their life? <laughs> any, anyway, anyway. See, it's not so uncommon, and, do you, and, do you re and you remember it. And one thing that I like to invite people to do is if you've been fortunate enough to touch that space, to not just have it as a distant memory, oh, that happened to me 20 years ago, or five years ago, or once when I was you know, out in nature or whatever, but the fact that you have experienced it, me, and the fact that you just raised your hand when I asked, means that it's somewhere in your consciousness. And I suggest that you can incline your mind to remember what that was like, not grasping for the bells and whistles and wow, isn't it intense, but just remembering that perspective invites it more and more. And that, that's really one of the, the, the gifts of meditation that in that state of openness, when there's no armoring and you touch an experience like that, it goes very deep. And it, it, cr it's an, it informs your reality. You can live from that place, even though you're not there all the time, you know that there's something else going on than uh, me paying the bills. And then you can pay the bills and live your life from a much freer place when you remember it's just a, 
just playing. I'm on the board game. I'm playing the game, being James, being whoever you are, you know, with all my relationships. And, you know, as Ramda says, it's the only dance there is. You know, it's the only game in town. But you know that on another level, there's something else going on. So I, I really encourage you to just remember and settle in to that place that knows this other reality or suchness. Okay, let's go on. So now, coming into the home stretch, to come directly into harmony with this reality, just simply say, when doubt arises, not to. In this not to, nothing is separate, nothing is excluded. No matter when or where, enlightenment means entering this truth. And this truth is beyond extension or diminution in time or space. In it, a single thought is 10,000 years. Okay, so here's his instruction. Whenever you're confused or you're doubting, saying, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Or why is this happening to me? Or, uh-oh, I'm really stuck now. Or will this work out? Whenever the doubts come, what does he say? Just remind yourself not to. It's not, on the one hand, life is happening and we're experiencing it, but on a deeper level when you realize it's not happening to you, it's happening through you or as you, that life is just playing itself through this form called you. And the more you can settle into that and allow yourself to be here for the ride, just see how this movie is unfolding and sometimes it's a comedy, and sometimes it's a melodrama, and sometimes it's a, it's a horror show, and sometimes it's a, it's a farce, and sometimes it's a sitcom, and just kind of like, or very peaceful. But you're here for the movie, and the less you get caught up in fear of what am I going to do, and more, let's see how this is unfolding, then your wisdom can can meet the moment and you can be in rhythm, in harmony with that flow. And his suggestion is just remembering not to, you're not separate from life. Life is using you. It's happening through you. Does that make sense? Any, anything, any other comment before we... Uh, You, uh, here, pass the mic up, Isabel, you want to sit all the way up to the front. I just wanted to say that um, part of how I work with this idea, I, just from what I've heard from Dharma, is like, you know, um, this is, you know, kind of one part earth or my physical being is here and then there's 
the metaphysical, spiritual, and there are things that I know I need to do to bridge the two, in, in, whether it's, in, you know, and, and it includes mind and body. It's meditation and um, spiritual dancing for me, yoga. Like, it's really important that I, it, that helps me bridge the two. Otherwise, I get so into whatever living on this level, mm -hmm. and I forget that, yeah. oh, I'm actually, and that's the kind of the two for me that I work on bridging, and I just know I need a practice mm -hmm. to do that. And so, you know, it's comforted me a lot to, to go, oh, I just need, if I'm feeling up heat, you know, just kind of like all over the place, I can meditate or do some dance or yoga or something, and mm. the two come together as one. And yeah, great. So all all these kinds of practices are ways to remember this other reality and to live from that place. Emptiness here, emptiness there. But the infinite universe stands always before your eyes, infinitely large and infinitely small. No difference, for definitions have vanished and no boundaries are seen. So too with being and non-being. Don't waste time in doubts and arguments that have nothing to do with this. Mm. You probably have, does that phrase, no boundaries, seem sound familiar? That was a, one, a title of one of Ken Wilber's books, No Boundaries, No Boundary. Just like One Dharma is the title of one of Joseph's, Joseph Goldstein's books. This treatise has like some little gems here and there. No boundaries, emptiness here, emptiness there, the infinite universe stands always before your eyes, infinitely large and infinitely small. Now, for me, when I, when I was a kid, and, and perhaps maybe you can relate to this, and I still sometimes imagine, you know, inside an, a, a, an atom is a whole world, a whole world reality unto itself that's very similar to say a solar system that's very similar on other levels macro levels to galaxies swirling around infinitely large and infinitely small I was having this conversation with somebody the other day who was uh, talking about about this line This world, or the Milky Way galaxy, could be an atom in somebody's big toe. <laughs> Who knows? Just like on your big toe can be maybe galaxies and universes. It's just from our particular vantage point that, oh, this is what reality is like, it seems. You know, now, when I, I was really into astronomy when I was a kid. I would drag my parents to the Hayden Planetarium in New York every 
every time the, the show would change, and I'd just go, wow, you know. And the thought that this speck called the earth is the only place that life exists, I mean, really. <laughs> I was on a I was on a, uh, a a beach a couple of weeks ago, and we were t talking about this. I was talking about it with Jane. Just there's there's more grains of uh, more grains of sand, you know, than um, no, not nearly as many grains of sand as there are planets like Earth, you know, and to think this is the only game there is infinitely large and infinitely small and when you kind of see that it could be anything it could be we could be somebody's dream right now the whole history of of humanity and planet earth just you know somebody's i don't know whether it's a bad dream or a good dream or whatever <laughs> but you know you know they say it's all a dream anyway it's all maya all illusion so no difference Definitions have, have vanished and no boundaries are seen. Okay, so here we go. One thing, all things, move among and intermingle without distinction. To live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. To live in this faith is the road to non-duality because the non-dual is one with the trusting mind. And then finally, words. The way is beyond language for in it there is no yesterday, no tomorrow, no today. The final rug being pulled. So when you're when you're in those intergalactic and you know different dimensions, then it makes such sense. To live in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. When you see the bigger game, how can we be so, how can we? We are. It, but the, the folly of being so preoccupied with, you know, oh, is my hair out of place? <laughs> you know, oh, I wonder how, what, what they'll think of me. You know, or oh, I said something silly, and then we dwell on it for the next, you know, five days. When you look at the bigger picture, whatever you said, you're probably the only person that's thinking about it five days later. Because everybody else is thinking about what they said. Right? That happens on retreats all the time where, you know, you... you uh, you you drop a you drop a fork you know and and you know that everybody is kind of going like 
this in their minds for the next three hours, and you're the only one that knows it, right? Because everybody isn't even looking. They've got their eyes down at their table. But you're sure that they all know it was me, right? You can really see that clearly on, on retreat, in the silent retreat, how much we are focused on how I'm doing and how freeing it is to live without anxiety about non-perfection. Now, I, I wrote a few notes about this. I meant to remind myself. Oh, I know where it is. It's right here. Oh, yeah. So let's, let's well, before I go on, any, any comments that uh, anybody has? Yeah, back, uh, here's a few. Uh, here, pass. There's one back there, and also over there. There's two hands. Thanks, Alison. Uh, when I uh, meditate and work on focusing on my breath, mm-hmm. and inevitably lose my breath, and then inevitably come back knowing I'm going to lose it, but I go back to my breath anyway, and then lose it again, and learn to become okay with that. Yeah. Um, that's what struck me with, without anxiety about non-perfection. It's really great. And that's where m- meditation is such an incredible training as long as you're not trying to have the perfect meditation. As soon as you do, you're stuck. Oh, my meditation was lousy today. I must not be doing it well enough. This is all a training as much as anything to let go of taking your meditation practice personally. Because you have no control. That was a great, profound relief to me when I realized I have no control over how mindful I am or how concentrated I am. You know, I might try, I might want to be mindful, want to be concentrated, and I sit down and it's kind of like, like that. As earnestly as I'm trying, but the one thing I have control over is my willingness to come back and to be very light about it and not take it personally. So it's, a, it's not only good practice to not take it personally, it's the practice. That's what it's about, to just know that you've done the best you absolutely could and have an intention to wake up, and that is your secret ingredient, your intention to be present that is sprouting in its own time, not when you think it is, not, oh, am I clear right now, but just you find yourself, people keep on meditating. Why? For some reason, they can't even explain, even though their mind is all over the map, but somehow there's something that, that's happening within them because that intention has been, been seeded many times. So it's not taking it personally, not non-perfection, Non-meditation, you're just, it's just doing itself through you. Thank you. Then there's, yeah, the past there. I wanted to say two things. And the first thing is I just, as you were talking just a minute ago, just really feeling how, um, just how profoundly lucky we are to be sitting in this beautiful hall, hearing this dharma, 
this beautiful dharma. It's just I just was really struck by that. We're just so fortunate. I'm just I just feel really grateful. Mm-hmm. And um, the second thing I wanted to say is I really like the translation of non-perfection as opposed to imperfection. I think the first couple of times I heard that line, I heard the word imperfection used. And there's such a, just a vast difference between the two because imperfection really connotes something wrong for me. Right. And non-perfection just opens that up like a huge space where perfection isn't really part of, part of it. It's just isness or something, mm-hmm. you know. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. So two things. First, as far as the that feeling of, of good fortune and gratitude, for us to all be hearing this beautiful Dharma wisdom, that's something to keep in mind in uh, when we say, oh, woe is me and why is life treating me this way? We are so incredibly blessed. Here we are in Berkeley, California, not one of the, not too bad a place to be hanging out in and sharing silence and sharing the Dharma and sharing goodwill, you know, just incredible. But in our relative reality, it's like, oh, I had a lousy day or this is happening to me. And and we all have our share of suffering. It's not to minimize that, but to hold it in a space of gratitude. And then, um, um, what was the other thing you said? <laughs> imperfection oh versus yeah, imperfection, non-perfection. Yeah. You know in the, uh, thank you, excuse me, brain cells gone here. Uh, in the, uh, you know when the, uh, um, uh, the uh, Persian rugs, when they make the tapestries, you know, they purposely make a, uh, you know, a, a, a glitch in it, just to remind you that, that this, is, this is part of life, not to not to be so hung up on everything being perfect. You can have it beautiful, but you can celebrate the non-perfection as well. Okay, thank you. One, one last thing. And then I, I was remembering uh, something my grandson, my five-and-a-half-year-old grandson said yesterday. I had put a pen into the washing machine, and it leaked on some new baby clothes for his new baby that he's going to have in a month. And I must have been going on and on. I was saying, oh, I feel so bad. I feel so bad. And he looked at me and he said, it's okay, Nana. Everybody makes mistakes. Mm. <laughs> uh, beautiful. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was just an accident. And I just immediately, all the anxiety mm. left my body. And I felt so grateful and mm. happy. <laughs> well, I, you're just reminding me one of my favorite songs when when Adam was young and we'd watch Sesame Street. Everyone makes mistakes, so yes they do. (laughs) Your father and your mother and your sister brother too. And we used to sing that a lot, you know. It's (laughs) helpful. It took me off the hook a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about a little bit about this without anxiety about non-perfection. On the one hand, this is, uh, there is a middle path in this. Because on the, on the one hand, uh, you can, if you have perfection as your, as your standard, uh, you will never be satisfied 
and it can be suffering. I'm thinking about, uh, um, I w once occurred to me, I share this sometimes in the beginning class, that uh, I've seen that perfectionist streak in myself, and the best you can do as a perfectionist is break even. You do it perfectly, okay, well, that's how I'm supposed to do it. And anything less, and you're, you've blown it. And then we see these, I think we've mentioned it here, these you know, supermodels that think they're ugly or think they're too, too fat. Or the celebrities that are always, you know, well, I'm not number one. And here we are in a, a civilization, a society that is looking out for number one and everybody trying to be number one, how, how painful that is. And when we have those impossibly high standards, this is, uh, this is a setup for, um, for suffering through our life. Then there's another aspect to this too. And that is There's something about aspiring to mm, being the best we can be, to, uh, to having perfection as, as an, inspi an inspiring goal or inspiring, uh, inspiring uh, ideal that we can keep on looking and trying to um, to develop ourselves. The same vision can be either a merciless uh, pain or it can be a great inspiration. And the Buddha actually talked, he was his, his own example, was the perfect example. He said, don't be complacent about your awakening. In fact, his, his lifetime before he became the Buddha and he was out in, uh, he was on his six-year ascetic um, quest, he learned these great concentration techniques from two teachers. One teacher taught the first, I think it was the first seven jhanas, these high absorption states. And, uh, and, the, and Siddhartha, the ascetic, mastered them. And uh, and his his teacher Alaraka, his Ala, Ala something I think it was Raka, said, um, "Well, you've taught you've learned everything I know. Please, uh, why don't you share the share the seat with me?" And he said, "No, no, no. I know there's more. I'm still not free inside." And then he met another teacher who taught him the eighth jhana, and the same. You know, why don't we teach together? No, no, no. There's more. So he said to keep on going, as long as you're not fully awakened, there's more work that we can, we can do. But not to do it from this place of not being enough, just be doing it from a place of realizing there's even more unfolding to do. So there is this non-perfection being okay as, as uh, Pema Chodron, sa Chodron says, uh, just start where you are you know, and really celebrate 
where you are and that you have the intention to keep on waking up. Let it be a, a glorious process rather than, oh, I'm not there yet. I, I've shared this with my uh, with you probably a number of times, but there's probably a few people who haven't heard this time I went into an interview in, my, in, a, in a retreat with Joseph Goldstein, my teacher, and I said, uh, wow, I don't know what I've been doing up until now, these last five years, but this is a whole new ball game. You know? And he said, oh yeah, you know, I know that feeling. I said, you do? He said, yeah, I get it every time I sit. And then he, then he leaned forward. I still get goosebumps every time I say this. He leaned forward and he said with this really twinkle in his eye, and you know what? It's like we're at the tip of the iceberg. You know? And he said it with such excitement. Not, oh gosh, we've got so far to go. You know? <laughs> he said, no, we're at the tip of the iceberg. How exciting how much more there is to discover, to awaken to. How beautiful, how mysterious. You know, let's, let's celebrate that. And that's where you don't want this being without anxiety about non-perfection to say, oh, it's cool, you know, I, I've done everything I need to. You know, if I'm mindful, I'm mindful. And, you know, if I'm not, I'm not. And, you know, I'm just... Share, doing my karma by, you know, ripping people off here and there, you know, it's, you know, that's not it. It's seeing there's even more to do and to celebrate that. So there's a, a, a kind of quality, a, a celebration of impeccability without being compulsive and of simple and easy and allowing just where you are to be perfectly okay but not getting sloppy or lazy or complacent. It's as often things are this middle path and where the perfection or non-perfection comes in one other uh, demarcation I find that at least is a good guideline for me is seeing that I have little or no control over what thoughts come through my mind, that no responsibility, you know. If I could have only noble thoughts of saving humanity, I would. You know. But a few others creep in there every now and then. <laughs> but the line between what comes through your mind and how you express it. That's where we can, can look with, um, with practice and, and, uh, and care at what we want to create for ourselves and for, for others around. That's where the impeccability really can, can be honed and a lifetime of, of honing just to see, okay, what am I putting out in the world? And as we've said many times before, y you know, there are very few saints around. But to, to clean up our act just because it feels really good, not because 
we're trying to be some kind of holy person, but because, oh yeah, there's, there's more I can do with my speech, with my care and my speech, or with my thoughtfulness, or my speech towards myself. But to really be free and easy and just let yourself be who you are. That's like in uh, um, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. I think I mentioned it here a couple of weeks ago where they s uh, the, the introduction where the, the, um, the student is writing about Suzuki Roshi saying that it's not just the, the, the Roshi's fantastic gifts and his wisdom and his compassion and what's really extraordinary about someone like this Roshi, my teacher, is how utterly ordinary he is. That's extraordinary. Where he is just completely himself. You know when you're around somebody who's just not trying to impress and just being themselves, it's so, such a relief where you don't have to be anything more than you are because that's who they are too. Because they're not trying to be perfect, because they're just at ease with being human. What a gift that is that we can all give to each other. And the more we try to be perfect and the uptight, rigid stance, you know, yes, I'm doing this all perfectly, you know, I hope nobody finds out if I make a mistake, you know, and I, everybody see how perfect I am, you know, it's, it's not very impressive, you know, but there's just an ease and a naturalness that comes from being without anxiety about non-perfection. So I just want to ask you maybe to reflect for a moment, go inside, maybe we can make this as a practice. Just, uh, when for you do you find yourself subject to impossibly high standards, or maybe not even impossibly high standards, unrealistic standards, where it's hard to accept just who you are? Maybe in your communications or your relationships or your execution of a project. And as you see that, what would it be like to be without anxiety about non-perfection? What if you could just let go of being perfect for a little bit and let yourself be just who you are, trying the best you can and feeling good about that? Just imagine what that would be like to feel really good about your wholeheartedness and no report card for the result. if there's any lightening of the load inside in your mind, 
into your heart, your being. And maybe just see if you can give yourself that as a practice this week. If that particular situation comes up, your practice is no anxiety about non-perfection or to put it even more positively to acknowledge, appreciate that you're doing the best you can and that's just fine. Keeping in mind that wherever you are, as long as you're facing in the direction of more and more awakening and inspiring yourself by your intention and your goodness and your Buddha inside, um, that that's quite enough. That's a gift to everybody. So, just about time to go. If there's anything that's burning on anyone's mind that they want to you know, say or ask. Yeah, one last one. Who's there? I just wanted to say that I really appreciate this Dharma talk because... My mother just died, and I was having these moments where I would wake up in the middle of the night, and I was thinking that I hadn't been there as much as I should have been there, and I hadn't. I wish I was a softer person. That was one of my thoughts. I wish I was more loving. I wish I was different than the way I was. And um, I, I mean, I did get through this and thought, you know, I am who I am, and I really was there for her, but it just reinforced it for me, and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and what you what you remind me is, it's usually the people with the highest standards that are hardest on themselves. Most of the other people are saying, "Hey, it's okay, it's cool," you know, but it's the ones who have very high ethics, for instance, who get are. You know, there's a refinement of, of that's the price you pay for purifying. You know, but you've got to be really kind with yourself. Oh, I I didn't do that as impeccably as I should have, or those who have whatever the high standards are. If you've got very high standards, let it be your ally, and acknowledge it rather than your, you know, merciless super ego that says it's never enough. So thank you for reminding all of us. Okay, so we'll, we'll close with a, a loving kindness now. Start with, um, you know, just breathe in and out of your heart and breathe in all the goodness from around you. It's here for you. Life wants to support you. Not two. Not separate. Life is expressing itself as you. And in that not to send some loving kindness to this form 
called me. The more it can realize who it is, what it is, the freer it is. May there be peace inside. May all the love inside be expressed well. May I wake up to my true nature, not separate. And then sending these thoughts out to everyone here and to all beings everywhere, not to, not to, infinitely large and infinitely small, may all beings wake up to their true nature. May all express their love and goodness and wisdom well. May all know the highest happiness and peace. And may our coming here together be of benefit to ourselves, everyone in our lives, and all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy. Thank you very much. Have a great week. See you next week. where all this stuff yeah I wonder if we plug it in someplace um, else you know we, we played a, we played a band and, and we had a ground
because this Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.